All right, I want to invite you to find your seats. We'll have time afterwards for fellowship together. My name is Dan Song. I'm one of the pastors here at Restoration. It's good to be together. I know the weather outside is a little dreary and I feel a little melancholy this morning, but uh, it's good to just uh, gather as God's people. We've been, uh, God has invited us into worship. He's forgiven us. Uh, we've been able to fellowship together, and now he wants to give us his word this morning. And so turn your Bibles to John chapter 14. Uh, John chapter 14. We're going to look at uh, verses 15 through 26. If you don't have a Bible, we do have Bibles provided for you underneath the chair in front of you. And there you could turn to page 901. 901 of the church Bibles. And uh, as you do that, we have gone through the Apostles' Creed over this fall season and we've looked at the first two sections of the apostles creed which looks at god the father and maker but also of jesus and today we begin the third section which is on the holy spirit now if you're familiar with the apostles creed you know you might feel like man the holy spirit gets gypped right i mean there's like literally just one line i believe in the holy spirit but when you actually look at the rest of the creed that we'll confess after we preach and come to the table Really, the rest of it is the outworking of the Holy Spirit. So when, you, when we confess that we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, and the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting, that is the outworking of the Spirit. And that's why we sort of would say this is the third section that begins with the Holy Spirit and the outplaying of that. And so from today and the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at the rest of the Apostles' Creed before Advent and, and the Christmas season. And today we begin with the Spirit. So read along with me, starting in verse 15, and we'll end in verse 26. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Lord, we come before you and we give you thanks that your spirit is with us even now. As we have lifted up prayers, as we have heard your scriptures being called to us and spoken to us, uh, even as we've sung songs, your spirit is here, active, working in our hearts. And so, Lord, I pray that now as we hear your word, illuminate our minds, illuminate our hearts, so that these words that we hear will sink deep in our hearts and transform us forever. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
As we come to the topic of the Holy Spirit, in my past experience in churches, I've sort of ex experienced two extremes. One extreme is that there is much to do about the Holy Spirit, and it is almost over-spiritualized in a very dangerous manner. So much so that I've even heard in my church experience where they have said to friends of mine that God has told me that you should marry this person. And it is the Spirit's working telling me that you are to marry that spouse or future spouse. Very dangerous, manipulative, and over-spiritualizing the Spirit's work in our lives. Now, I've also seen the other extreme where the Holy Spirit is rarely mentioned in the church. I heard a joke uh, once that went like this, talking about the Trinity, deciding on vacation trips for their holiday break. And so the Father, God the Father decides, he liked to go to the mountains where he could experience and reflect, uh, where they reflect his majesty and power, right? Jesus, the Son, desires to go back to his old stomping grounds in Palestine. And the Holy Spirit decides to go to a Presbyterian church because he wants to go someplace he'd never been. <laughs> now, as a Presbyterian pastor, you know, I think there's some truth to that. I could laugh at myself and even laugh at even maybe, maybe that's your experience here. You're like, we rarely talk about the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's work. But... I think that's the point here. We don't know what to do with the Holy Spirit. We know he exists and he's in the Bible. We say that we believe in him, but we have no framework for how the Holy Spirit actually works in our lives. And here, as we just read in John 14, in Jesus' discourse with his disciples, before he's about to go to the cross, he gives them this, he drops this huge bomb, and what does he say? He says, I'm going to leave you guys. And he's like, and the disciples, can you imagine the shock and the terror that must have felt like for them? They gave up everything. They left their jobs. They left their comforts. They left their families to follow Jesus. And now Jesus drops this bombshell and says, I'm going to leave you. And instead of just saying, well, you guys will be fine. Don't worry about it. Now it's up to you. You have everything that I've taught you and you have seen everything that you can. You'll be good to go. He says what? He says, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. Now what I want to do here as we think about the work of the Holy Spirit, even as we in the Apostles' Creed confess that we believe in the Holy Spirit, I want us to just look at what the Holy Spirit does. But before we can do that, we need to actually see who is the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? And then we'll look at, well, what does the Holy Spirit do? So as we think about what the Holy Spirit, who the Holy Spirit is, in verse 17 that we read, as Jesus says that he's going to send the Holy Spirit, what does Jesus say? In verse 17, he says, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he dwells in you. What we see is that the Holy Spirit is a person. Jesus describes him as a person. And moreover, in the New Testament, we see these attributes of the Holy Spirit being one of a person and not this, this 
thing out there that's like a force or that's intangible and we don't know what to do with the Holy Spirit. But look at these things that I'm going to read to you. He has emotion. Ephesians 4.30, he grieves. Hebrews 10.29, he is outraged. Romans 15.30, the Spirit loves. Romans 8.26, the Spirit also prays for us. He intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. In John 14, 14, 17 that we read, he helps. He's a helper. He teaches in verse 26. In 1 Corinthians 2, the Spirit thinks. He searches everything, even to the depths of God. And then in 1 Corinthians 12, he has a will. It says, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing gifts to each one individually as he wills. Loving, thinking, teaching, the will that he has, how he loves, he's outraged, he grieves. This is not describing some force, but rather a person. Now some of you might be like, yeah, I know that. But do you know that studies that have been done with Barna and Pew, the majority of Christians, majority of Christians, when asked about the Holy Spirit, says, says that no, it is not a person, but some force or thing. Those are Christians who profess faith in Christ, who say that the Spirit is not a person. But here we are made clear that the Holy Spirit is a person. But not just any person, right? It's one thing for us to go, well, hey, who is that person that you met yesterday? Oh, a person, right? But as we look at Scripture, it's more than just a person. We see that he is love. Augustine said it this way, one of our early church fathers, He said, the Holy Spirit, according to the Holy Scriptures, is neither of the Father alone, nor of the Son alone, but of both. And so intimates to us a mutual love, wherewith the Father and Son reciprocally love one another. Meaning that when we say God is love, what we mean when we say God is love is that as God loves the Son and as the Son loves God, the Holy Spirit is that love in person as God. I know that might be like, what are you talking about? But one way to think about it is this. Father, God the Father is the lover. The Son is the beloved. And the Holy Spirit is the mutual love between the two. So even for our children this morning, as you look at the, the, um, the activity sheets that you had, what is it of? It's of Jesus being baptized, right? And there you see the Trinity. You see God who declares, this is my son in whom I I love, right? And what happens in that moment? The dove, the Holy Spirit comes as a dove. And that is love being manifested between God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And in Romans 5, we see it, it worked out this way when Paul says this, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It is God's love manifested to us in person who teaches, who loves, who intercedes for us. This is who the Holy Spirit is. And so if I were to summarize it, it is that he is not only a person, but the Holy Spirit is the love of God as a person who is God. That is who 
the Holy Spirit is when we talk about him in the Bible and when we profess that we believe in the Holy Spirit. Okay, so then if he is a person who is God in the form of love, what does that mean? What does the Holy Spirit do for us? Well, I think a better question might be, what does the Holy Spirit not do for us? The Spirit pretty much does everything for us. If I were to ask you, can you exist and live as a follower of Jesus without the Holy Spirit, I would say no. There's absolutely no way that we can be followers of Jesus without the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Spirit is the one who applies all of the gospel realities to us. In our response to the gospel, to our growing understanding of Christianity and its truth, it's the Spirit's work. The Spirit is the one that convicts us of the truth. He's the one that teaches us to call on Christ as Lord. The Spirit is the one that animates our dead hearts and brings life to it, even as we heard in the assurance of faith. The Spirit is the one that makes the truth come alive and transforms us and makes us more like Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the one that does all of these things and applies the gospel to us every single day of our lives. And without the Holy Spirit, we would be dead. But here in this passage, what I want to do is just look at three things that the Holy Spirit does for us that Jesus makes clear. First is that he lives in us. Verse 23, this is what Jesus said. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. The Spirit lives within us. There's another place where Paul says, Do you know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? Think about that. Have you ever had a visitor or a friend stay with you at your house? What happens? You clean the home, you go shopping, and you make beautiful dinners and meals so that you might be able to be a good host to the visitor that comes to your home, right? I remember as a pastor's kid, we would have lots of people ho- over at our house, and my mom was crazy. Like, she would be screaming at us from morning till dinner time. And as soon as that guest came over, she would put on a happy face, be in a pretty dress, but all for the purpose of what? So that our home will be hospitable and a place of safety and warmth. There is something that happens when someone comes into your home that you want to make this place a place that they could dwell in and be a place of safety and warmth and be fed a good meal. Well, the same is true of the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit lives in us, resides in us, doesn't that mean that there's implications for how we reside and live in our lives? From balancing your checkbook, what you watch on TV, when you go on dates, how you treat those around you, the way you speak, even as as we have an election coming up next week or in two weeks. How we act is very important because the Holy Spirit resides and lives within us. Does it change how you live? Does it change how you think? Though you might live in private, the Holy Spirit dwells within you. That's the first thing we see about the Holy Spirit and what it does. But the second thing is that the Holy Spirit is truth. Verse 17, Jesus says that the Spirit is of truth. And then in verse 26, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance 
all that I have said to you. That's so important, right? Because I think a lot of times when we think about the Holy Spirit, we think of the Holy Spirit with our feelings and our emotions. If I feel a certain way, oh, the Holy Spirit is moving in my heart. Now, that can definitely happen, and that is true. But the most vital and important way that the Holy Spirit works is through truth, through God's Word. God's Word is the one that the Spirit comes and inspires people and the authors to give us God's exact words to us so that we might know Him, right? Paul in 2 Timothy 3 says, it is God-breathed. The Holy Spirit inspired these authors to give us God's Word, but He also is the one that illuminates our hearts and our minds in what I just prayed before I started preaching. The Spirit is the one that illuminates us, our hearts and minds, so that what? We might not only understand God's word and know who he is, but that it might actually transform our hearts within. And this is where we have to be able to think about what is truth, and we see that in God's word for us. Are we in God's word so that the spirit might work in us to know truth? In a time where so many things are tolerant and there's so many different opinions, do we know God's word to be able to, to, be able to make statements and hold beliefs whether socially politically that are grounded in God's word and not just our culture and here we have to know that the spirit is truth because he reveals to us who God is and what God stands for there's a difference between knowing something is good and actually tasting what is good And that's what the psalmist says, right? Taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, there's people out there, right? And I'm included in there. We're like, we know what good coffee is. (laughs) Or maybe it's wine. Or maybe some kinds of whiskey. You knows it. You taste a little bit of it. You find out what region it's from. You taste all the floral notes. And some of you might be like, Dan, you're the most pretentious dude in the world. Maybe. I mean, I might give you some of that. But do you know why we do that for those that enjoy savoring and sipping different kinds of coffee and tasting the floral notes and the earthy notes and the chocolates and the different things? Why? Because it gives us a deep sense of true enjoyment and joy for what it is that we taste and are drinking. To slow down, to study, to sip, to smell. There's a deeper joy and satisfaction that comes from that. So yes, while it might be pretentious, there is actually joy that comes from it. And I could talk with other fellow friends and strangers about coffee and whiskey and wine. And that's the same with God's word. To slow down, to taste, to sip, to smell, and know that God is good. It's because of the Spirit's work, because He is truth. But the last thing we see here as we close is that the Spirit is our helper. The Spirit is our helper. Now, there's so many translations. If you look at different uh, Bible translations, some say that some translate it as helper, some translate it as comforter, some translate it as counselor. But the Greek word here is parakaleo, meaning para, which is coming alongside or standing alongside, and kaleo, which is to call, to urge to argue with even. 
And so what we see here is that this isn't, the spirit isn't just some spiritual masseuse to just comfort you. But it's more, he's more like a field general standing alongside you and urging you on to battle and to victory. Let me give you an illustration of this. I read recently, there's this, in France, there's this thing called the Bayou Tapestry. And it's in this museum, and it's about 230 feet long. And it depicts this, uh, in 1066, the Norman armies under William the Conqueror successfully invading England. But one of, in this 230 foot long tapestry, one part of it shows this one bishop with a huge stick poking all of these soldiers on horseback. And it's this Bishop of Bayou, and under the caption, or the caption underneath of this scene reads, Bishop Odo comforts the soldiers. Parakaleo. So while we translate it comfort, it's really one of urging on, of calling out, standing alongside, like a, like a general, field general, saying, go and fight this victory. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. Yes, he comforts, of course. He comes alongside those who are grieving right now. Everything that has happened in our SLPS and around the world, all the tragedy and brokenness. But when we think about the Spirit here as parakaleo, this comfort, this helper. Helper is a better word because while he comforts, he also is that field general urging you on in battle to victory. N.T. Wright, a theologian, said it this way, the point of the Holy Spirit is to enable those who follow Jesus to take into all the world the news that he is a Lord, that he has won the victory over the forces of evil, that a new world has opened up and that we are to help make it happen. That's the Spirit's work. He's our helper. He's urging, he's urging us on. When we confess that we believe in the Holy Spirit, we are rejecting all forms of self-sufficiency, self-autonomy, the self-made person, and we're saying instead, I confess that I'm completely and utterly dependent on the work of the Spirit, my helper, to transform me, to change me, and to change those around me, wherever the Lord has called me. I'm confessing to weakness. And the Holy Spirit is my helper. He is our help. He is our truth. And he is the one that lives in us. Do you believe that? Maybe we need to take time this week to reflect on that. We need to spend time in prayer asking the Holy Spirit to reveal himself to us so that we might be able to know that while he resides in us, we might actually live that reality out in our lives. As we confess our faith together, this is what we're saying. He lives within us. He's a person in the form of love who is God, who lives in us, who is truth and is our helper. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have not left us or abandoned us, but that you have given us your spirit who is not only love, but as the presence of God in our lives. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to live that out, whether it's to change maybe the ways that we're living in sin, maybe the ways that we interact with others, or maybe it's the ways that we do not know your word, or maybe it's in the ways that, Lord, we have thought that it's all about me 
and not depending on you, our helper. Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts, that your spirit would do that for us this week and even now as we come to the table. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.